I took my midwife's advice and it was so painful that I kept the towel between my teeth because I was kind of howling uh, through this pain yeah. and pain. But also there was these um, hormones just flowing through my body. So when the waves of contractions would come, I would howl through them in pain and then I would drift off in this blissful sleep. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where you'll gain the tools, knowledge, and confidence you need to erase the unknowns, feel in control, and have an even better birth, no matter how you deliver. My name is Liesl Teen, mom of two, practicing labor and delivery nurse, and your host. From over eight years and counting of working at the bedside, I know that knowledge is the key to an even better birth. So tune in each week to learn about all things pregnancy, birth, and postpartum from me, a labor and delivery nurse that's seen it all. And now let's get into this week's episode. I have a birth story for you guys this week, and this lovely lady is Coming at you guys all the way from Japan. Yeah. Do we have any Mommy Labor Nurse listeners in Japan? I bet I do. I bet I have a few. I bet I have a few. So shout out to you if you're listening to this right now from Japan. May Yoshikawa has joined me this week to share her birth stories, both of which were unmedicated, but they were drastically different. Her firstborn was in a birthing center in southern Japan. And then eight years later, she studied her butt off and she used all of the wisdom that she's learned from years of intense practice as a yoga and meditation teacher, which she then applied to her birth. And get this, she was able to have an all natural and almost all pain free birth in the bathtub at home in Tokyo. I'm not going to spoil too much of it because May is just a fabulous storyteller and you guys are just going to, you're just going to love her. I mean, she's such a wise lady. So without further ado, let's hear from May. Hi, May. Welcome to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today with me. Hi, Lisa. It's so lovely to meet you. Yeah. Can you start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself, where you are right now, because it's much different outside where you are uh, versus where I am. Just anything you want to share with our listeners. Yes. My name is May Yoshikawa. I'm a quarter American and three quarters Japanese. I like to say that I look Japanese, speak American English, but I found my heart in South India. Ah. I'm based here in Tokyo, Japan, where it's a bright and early Wednesday morning for me, and it's evening for you, where you are, Lisa. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's see. I'm going to rewind back to my teenage years. I, um, I had a really difficult time around the age of 14 and 15 when my parents got divorced. Mm-hmm. My mom is a mother of four children. So I'm the youngest of four siblings in my family. But shortly after the divorce, my mom fell sick to a very rare neurological disease, mm. which was really hard, not just for my mom, but for my family and for me to adjust to. Mm. It made me a depressed insomniac. It ate up at my own health. To a point where by the age of 21, I needed to wake up to my own health and well-being, which led me to the discovery of yoga and meditation. Mm. Eventually, I found my way to South India and started training at the feet of the guru, as they say. And incidentally, 
I became the first Japanese woman to be authorized at the founding school of Ashtanga Yoga in South India. Wow. Yeah. Um, it's a very rigorous style of yoga. It's very athletic. Um, but it helped me to synchronize my breath and body in a way that I um, otherwise didn't really have a method to. So throughout my 20s, I really rebuilt my health from a really, I mean, I was down in the dumps, right? I was a depressed insomniac. I couldn't breathe. I was cold all the time. I was really yeah. out of shape and I rebuilt it. And then in my late 20s, I had my first marriage and my first pregnancy, which was a natural unmedicated birth, but it was a very painful experience for me. Mm. I didn't know whether I would have another one because shortly after that birth, I was divorced from my first husband. Mm. But uh, some five years later, I met another man and I remarried in my 30s. We decided we wanted another baby. And so for the second birth, I thought, well, there's got to be a better way to do this. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I took a whole different route than the first time I thought well there's got to be a better way to take hold of my breath take hold of my mind and do something differently than the last time because the last time it was so painful I felt so torn apart yeah. and so for my second birth I um, was able to have a beautiful pain-free home birth which mm. is one of the reasons why I wanted to speak with you because I know that in the past I never knew that such things were possible yeah, a lot of people don't, but they talk about it. And I mean, even me having, I've had two natural births, right? I'm like, people can have pain. For, I don't, I don't understand. Take me on this journey. <laughs> but yes. it, I mean, people talk about it. it. It happens. And that's exactly where I started because for my first birth in my twenties, I had heard about it and I thought, well, yeah. like, I guess such things exist but it sounded like this far off fairy tale it didn't sound yeah. like anything that was real to me yeah yeah but but eight years later for my second birth I began to think well if she could do it why can't I and mm -hmm. in order for me to make that possible for myself how do I need to change my mind how do mm -hmm. I need to approach this and so those are some of the things I would love to share with you about yeah, I love yeah. it. I love it. Well, I first want to hear a little bit more about your first birth, if you mm -hmm. could go into a little bit of detail about that and how um, obviously it was painful, you're saying. Um, and then I want to hear the difference between the two. Yeah. So by the time I was pregnant with my first son, I had been practicing like rigorous Ashtanga yoga for over seven years. This is like daily, five days, six days a week you know, an hour and a half, two hours practice. Um, so I was super fit. Mm -hmm. um, and my core was very strong. And I might add that I think it's safe to say that I was rather a little strong headed too. Mm, you know? Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a will and I needed that will to take hold of my health and to change my lifestyle. And um, because in my personal life, I was going through the slow degradation of my mom's condition, mm. right? Because my mom had this neurological right. disease. And while taking hold of my health in this rigorous physical matter um, helped me to come back to my own health, 
I, I was also very masculine in the sense that I was highly disciplined, like military mm-hmm. disciplined. You know, I would wake ah. up in the morning and do my practice and do my breathing and all of these things. Um, but I always knew also that I wanted to be a mom. Mm-hmm. So pretty much the week I said, oh, I think I want a baby, we conceived. But my first husband wasn't very involved with my pregnancy. He didn't come to any of the checkups. And I don't think I knew any better. I don't know that I was looking for more in a partnership at the time. I think I thought that I could do it on my own or I I, I got this, you know? Yeah. I did all the reading and studying like a lot of people do during their first pregnancy. But I had this idea that birth is supposed to be painful because my mom told me in my teenage years when I got my first period, and she said, well, congratulations. Now, you know, your body is going to change. You're going to be a woman. And one day you'll be able to have babies too. Mm-hmm. Now, when you get your contractions, it's going to hurt very, 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 very much. And when the night comes and when you actually get your contractions and you think it hurts so much, you should go to the hospital. Wait, mm-hmm. wait for it to hurt a hundred more times before you mm-hmm. go. Mm-hmm. And so... And that probably scared you to death. It scared me. It, <laughs> yeah. it scared me. And also, though, I mean, I must have been, oh, I don't know, maybe 14 or something when she told me that. It's not yeah. like you think about these things every day. As a middle yeah. schooler, as a high schooler, I'm not pondering upon that. But I got to say, I found out later that it certainly left an impression on my subconscious mind. Right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that, that and all of the stuff you see in the media. Like yeah. the stories you read, you know, the episodes of ER that I watched and yeah. all of those visuals and of screaming women being rushed on hospital journeys, that idea of what what birth is supposed to feel like. Yeah. And I didn't know that I was walking into my first birth with that notion kind of painting my subconscious only because I didn't know any better. Mm. Um, on the other hand, I did feel like I had a trusty relationship with my body. And there was so much athleticism. I had been in touch with my breath and I had been meditating and these things. Mm-hmm. But when contractions came and I remembered my mom said, wait, wait for it to hurt more before, <laughs> before yeah. calling up the midwife. I had opted to birth with a midwife because I didn't think that I would need to go to a hospital. I was a low risk pregnancy. Mm -hmm. and a beautiful lovely veteran midwife too I think it was about 6 p.m when I first called her and said but I think the contractions are kicking in because I was afraid of waking her up in the middle of the night like I didn't want to disturb her because she was the 72 year old grandma yeah (laughs) and but I might add though that that was kind of like this nice nice girl I was trying to be this nice Good girl syndrome. That's what people are starting to call it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Total good girl syndrome. Um, So I called her up at six and I said, you know, I don't want to have to wake you up later in the night. So she said, well, just stay at home, relax and see how it progresses. And if you need to, then you come later. So by 2 a.m., I thought the contractions were close enough and painful enough. But as I recall, it was very much towards the front side of my belly. I felt it very strong towards the front side of my belly, but it hurt a lot. It mm-hmm. was like this hanging pain. 
And the birthing center was about an hour away. So we drove there. And when I got to her birthing center and she examined me, she took one look and she was like, oh, you're not opening at all. You're not talking at all. What did you do in those hours since you called me at 6 p.m.? And I was like, well, I went for a walk and I cleaned the pillars and the floor in the house on all fours because I had read somewhere that Japanese women in the olden days used to do that to prepare their bodies for labor. Mm -hmm. I cooked and prepared food to keep in the freezer so that my family and my husband would have food while I was in labor and postpartum and like all of these things just over efforted everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I laid it all upon her like, well, these are all the things I did. Do I get extra brownie points? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know? Mm -hmm. But my midwife, she was like, oh, I think for some women, these things might work, might be beneficial. But for you, you need to go home, lie down and sleep. She said, if you can. And I was just in shock and dismay because, like I said, it was already panging painful by then. And she sent me home like Mm -hmm. an hour all the way home because the birthing center couldn't admit people like before birth. So I we're driving home and I'm thinking to myself, God, was my mom right? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. um, But when I got home, I was able to sleep. I took my midwife's advice and it was so painful that I kept a towel between my teeth because I was kind of howling Uh, through this pain and pain. But also there was these um, hormones just flowing through my body. So when the waves of contractions would come, I would howl through them in pain and then I would drift off in this blissful sleep. And I would howl again and then drift off. And I repeated that for a while until the following day about noon, the pain had moved from the front side of my belly to my lower back and the sacrum. And I just didn't feel like I could hold it in anymore. So I said, let's go again. And we took the hour drive and arrived at the birthing center the second time. And the second time we arrived, the baby was born in under 50 minutes. Whoa. So it was really quick. Okay. But these 50 minutes, it was just so painful for me. Like, um, I again, I had done all the studying. I had read all the books. And I had read something like close to 80% of the women in natural birth prefer to be on all fours mm-hmm. um, or that kind of a position to help gravity, like, bring the baby down. So I was on the birthing table and kind of trying to move around on all fours. Um, and it was okay for a while, but then it didn't feel comfortable. It didn't feel like the right position and my birth wasn't progressing. I didn't know what else to do, but my midwife said, you know, I think you, you need to turn around the other way. Mm-hmm. So I flipped over and then I sat in the birthing chair with my legs in stirrups. Mm-hmm. And, and then that's when the baby's head just started to descend. And as they say, that part of labor is like, the most painful part, right? When the baby's yeah. head is coming into the birth canal. And it was so painful that I yelled. I screamed on that birthing chair and I said, Yamete, which means stop, oh. like really loudly in Japanese. Yeah. I wanted to 
pick up the remote control of my life, press pause, rewind all the way back to the part before I ever got pregnant Mm -hmm. and pretend like none of this ever happened. Yeah. But of course, these are the final minutes of birth. Mm -hmm. And I was already at the birthing center, like in the birthing room. In the the chair, chair. ready to go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's hot. There's no remote next to you, unfortunately. Wish there was. In a weird way, like for my first birth, I didn't know pushing. I, I didn't push because I had already unknowingly put up so much resistance in the hours prior to that, in all uh, of my efforting, that by the time, you know, I said Yamete and screamed out loud, I had exhausted myself of any energy. And yeah. finally, after I yelled Yamete, my body just went limp, like I had nothing left in me, no more resistance. I, I give up. Yeah. And that was when the baby came through. Mm. So interestingly enough, for my first birth, um, it's, it's like I had a natural unmedicated birth, but in a sense, I wasn't really collaborative because mm. I didn't know how to work with the flow of life. I see. So you felt like it was happening to you. And you were almost like a passive participant instead of an active participant? I didn't know at the time that I could be an active participant. Mm. And if so, how could I? Gotcha. How could I work with a life force so great that it's Mm -hmm. incomprehensible to the human mind? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like with your second one, maybe you did. Yeah, And it's interesting because even for my first birth, I had been practicing yoga and meditation for seven years. And people were Mm -hmm. like, well, you know, didn't you have that stuff together kind of a thing? (laughs) You know, I'm sure some people thought Mm -hmm. so. But in many ways, I was definitely a lot healthier and more balanced than I was seven years prior. Mm -hmm. But I didn't have it all together. And it's just a, a learning in action, right? You learn through these life experiences. But because that first birth felt like such a barging open, I felt really torn apart after the birth, physically and emotionally. Like physically, I didn't actually tear, but there was that kind of pain. Mm -hmm. And emotionally also, there I felt almost betrayed by God or life or the universe or whatever you want to call it. I was like, Mm -hmm. wait, it wasn't supposed to be this way. Mm-hmm. I wasn't supposed to be in so much pain. God didn't design women to have to bear so much pain. Like, what am I missing here? Mm-hmm. So that postpartum period was really shocking. And it was a huge learning period for me because during the pregnancy, I was so focused on the pregnancy and birth that I knew nothing about the postpartum and recovery period. Mm-hmm. And my mom was also sick, right? She was yeah, disabled. Yeah. So she wasn't able to support me or communicate um, with me through that recovery period. Mm-hmm. Um, I have two sisters. And one of my sisters came down to support me. But I don't think we had that kind of internal wisdom that's traditionally passed down through cultures and through yeah. the parental lineage. But the wonderful aspect is that the body does have the capacity to heal. Mm. If you sleep well, eat well, if you listen to your body, then the body does heal. 
Want to make sure you've got absolutely everything you need packed in your hospital bag for birth? Of course you do. That's why I put my L&D brain to use and created the ultimate free hospital bag checklist just for you. It's organized for mom, partners, and baby to make sure you have everything you need to be comfortable and prepared without the unnecessary fluff that'll make the hospital staff think that you're moving in. A free hospital bag list created by a veteran mom and practicing L&D nurse? It doesn't get much better than that. Come on, let's be real. <laughs> Simply head over to mommylabornurse.com slash hospital bag right now to grab it today. That's right. Your completely free printable checklist is waiting at mommylabornurse.com slash hospital bag. So it took me over six months, but gradually I came back to my very strong athletic yoga practice. And then I had a tsunami of life experiences following that because the same month that I discovered that it really wasn't going to work with my husband and that we would have to separate. Mm -hmm. I also learned that my father had prostate cancer. Oh gosh. And yeah, it was really rough. And, and so I, I had to make some tough decisions in my life. I, I never thought that I would get divorced, but at that time, it just would have been the best thing for myself and for my son. Yeah. Um, and so I decided to go back to work and also to try to support my father. Um, he went through treatment and he's totally fine now. But, mm. Oh, good. Um, good. Yeah. So after that, I started my own company. I opened my yoga and wellness studio in Tokyo. But seven days, a week after I opened my yoga studio, we had the earthquake tsunami disaster in uh. Japan. Mm. Yeah, which was a really scary experience. I was in Tokyo at the time. And, you know, there was the fear and the nervous tension of the quakes, but also how the nuclear plants in Fukushima outside of Tokyo were in a very precarious state. We didn't know if our water was safe or if the air was safe. I didn't know if I should take my baby and leave Tokyo. And yeah. So there was a lot of tension, um, but all through these times, I think for me, just the practice of yoga, staying with my body, staying with my breath and sitting in meditation and just observing, being present, but not being swayed by external phenomena. Like this was something that I've been learning and training myself through the practice of yoga. So it's, it's been a total like life saver for me. Wow. I mean, it sounds like it. Yeah. Um, and I, I was quite wounded after my first divorce. So I never knew if I would marry again, but I also didn't want to give up on love, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so in my mid thirties, I met a wonderful man. He was a former professional heavyweight MMA fighter. Whoa. Whoa, right? So we used to joke about how I'm this pixie thin, 100 pound yoga girl. And he's like this super thick, 220 pound, 100 kilogram. Like he was Japanese, but people used to think he was Samoan because he's like this huge Whoa, yeah. guy. Um, but we had a lot in common because me through my practice of yoga and the way that I chose and continue to choose to live my life with that kind of wakefulness, that presence in every moment. And him through Budo, the way of martial arts, because so much of what he does is just live or die. 
don't blink, you know, keep your eyes open, yeah. be present yeah. in every moment. And and that definitely seeped through not just the sport and the practice, but through our daily lives. Mm. So we had a beautiful relationship. He adopted my first son. We came together as a family and we decided we wanted another baby and we're blessed with the second pregnancy. And it's strange because after all of that, I still didn't immediately go for a home birth after mm. that, my first pregnancy experience. I actually considered all of my options and I selected this clinic whose slogan it was to have natural birth in a safe environment. So they are all for advocating vaginal birth. But in case something goes wrong, then they have all of the medical facilities available at this clinic. And between my new husband and my son and my business and all of these things, I thought that it would be the best option for me to go uh, to birth at this clinic. But as the weeks progressed, and my second husband, he wanted to come with me to every checkup. He was so involved in the pregnancy. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Thank yep. you. Yep. Yep. <laughs> he was mm-hmm. so involved. I mean, he any and every opportunity to be in touch with, hear the baby's heartbeat, see it move. Yep. Um, that aspect of his connection to the baby and also like covering me, you know, he wanted to be there for me morally, physically, and also like he wanted to pick up all the bills. He didn't want me to have to worry about any of that extra stuff. He sounds so, like a, he sounds like a protector. Is that yeah. a good? Okay. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I didn't even know that that kind of stuff was possible, right? Yeah. Yeah. It certainly wasn't modeled in my parents. God bless them. I love them, you know, but yeah. that's not the dynamic that they have. I don't yeah. think I've seen it in any of my aunties and uncles. I mean, let's face it, we live in a pretty chauvinistic world. Correct. Right? Yeah. Um, and I come from Asian culture. Okay. I mean, turn the TV on and see the Empress is always walking three steps behind. Mm-hmm. the emperor like you don't this is not equality support mutual support it's not modeled you're not partners right yeah. exactly sounds like yeah. you guys were but in in your culture it's not that's not recognized as much right so mm-hmm. it's not just about i mean i learned later um how much we enjoyed serving each other mm-hmm. but i also had to learn through experience that it's possible for men and women and partners, just any partners to serve each other without making one or the other subservient. Mm. And I think that's something I just had to learn through experience. And it's not just that typically men might look down on women, but it's also that women might put themselves down Mm. when they're next to a man. I mean, it goes both ways. Sure. Right. And by the way, FYI, Japan happens to be ranked number 124th or 5th in the international ranking of gender equality. Uh, so that doesn't help. Yeah, that doesn't help. Yeah. So there's all of that. But like you said, I had a different dynamic with my husband, with my second husband. 
And it was in the works, definitely. We didn't just have it, it didn't just drop on our laps. Like yeah. we were working on it. Yeah. But there was a lot of communication and a lot of sensitivity to tune in to how am I feeling? How is she feeling? You know, how is he feeling? What mm-hmm. do we want together? And there was definitely a lot of communication about it. Yeah. And so during my pregnancy, uh, well, a large part of my life is spending time in India because I kept a house in South India for some 13 years through wow. my 20s and uh, most of my 30s because I was practicing yoga at mm-hmm. the feet of the guru in South India. And I would go there annually and I kept a house there. So it wasn't like visiting. It was like going home and I had local friends there. I was very safe and comfortable there. And I loved spending my pregnancies there because in India, I could just let all my hair down and relax and let time flow by. There wasn't this kind of tension of punctualities and social rules and norms when I'm in India. So it was a great place for Mm -hmm. me to relax. So for my second pregnancy also, I wanted to squeeze in a trip to India, but my clinic was pretty picky about scheduling these checkups and they wanted me to come on a regular basis on certain dates. But I thought, well, I'm healthy, you know, nothing in my checkups are putting any flags up. So I scooted one checkup forward and I scooted one backward to squeeze in like a little bit longer than a month. Mm-hmm. of a stay in India. Now, when I came back from my lovely relaxing stay in India, um, my husband came with me and we went to our checkup and the nurse ran all of the tests and she was looking at all of the records and nothing was going wrong. I was healthy. I felt great. And all of the test results said so. Yeah. But then she just had to scrutinize something, you know, uh-huh. And so she looked at my weight and she pointed out that my weight was two pounds over the bell curve. And I was like, exactly. What, you know, what risk could two pounds possibly present for me or for the baby? And she was like, well, if you accumulate too much fat on your vaginal walls, it might make it difficult for the baby to pass through. But give me a, give me a break. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. So, but imagine like I'm in this heightened sensitivity, pregnant yeah. hormonal state, and I just wasn't vibing with it. I didn't really have it in me to talk back. That is a nice her. way to say it. you were not vibing with it. Oh, yeah. No, no. But remember this good girl syndrome, too. Yep. I didn't yep. know I wasn't going to make a scene. I wasn't going to, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. It just deflated me. I yeah. went like, oh, oh. And so my husband got the bill or whatever we got in the elevator. And I'm thinking to myself, I just want to get the hell out of here. Once I'm out of here, then I'll be happy again. Yeah. But we're on the elevator. But my husband, remember, he's so keenly tuned into me. He turns to me and he goes, is this stressing you out? (laughs) And I said, well, um, a little bit, but it's okay. And I tried to brush it aside. Like, I didn't want to make it an issue for him. Yeah. He goes, no, I see you happy every day, except on these checkup days. Mm. If you don't like it here, we have to change it. Ooh, smart man. Ooh. I said, but I know you've already paid the down payment, honey. Yeah. And they don't reimburse. Yeah. Mm. 
And he goes, I know how much I've paid, but this is more important. Mm-hmm. I don't want you and I don't want the baby to have any stress. So if you don't like it, we have to change it. Wow. And thanks to him and his sensitivity, I said, well, I did all of the research, remember, and I thought that this was the best place. If it's not, I think we're just going to end up having the baby at home. Mm-hmm. And he goes, that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, if that's yeah. what's going to make you happy, I'm here for you. Let's do that. And I was 27 weeks in at the time. 28 weeks is the cutoff line mm-hmm. for changing birthing places. There's like mm-hmm. a regulation. I don't know how it is for you in the United States, but in Japan, like they have these regulations around selecting birthing places because mm-hmm. they issue handbooks by municipality. So you're supposed to decide where you want to birth the baby just for like record keeping. But uh, I just, I had less than a week to uh, find a midwife to help us birth at home. Yeah. But I did. And we switched to a home birth plan. And then I got really serious about learning, studying, like, how can I position myself, like mentally and emotionally, in a way that I could feel like these women whose birth stories tell of ecstatic, empowering um, choices. Orgasmic. Or sometimes orgasmic. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it's not like it was accidental. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that these things, not fully, but at least to an extent, can be studied and can be prepared for. Mm -hmm. That's what you're doing, right? You're informing your audience of all of the options and choices around birth based on stories, which is so empowering. Right. So I got to looking at all of the documentaries and reading whatever episodes of um, happy, empowering birth that I could get my hands on. And then this idea that my mom accidentally implanted in me about birth being painful, I was going to have to chuck that out the door. Mm -hmm. But not only that, I would need to repaint the landscape of my psyche with something much more positive. Hmm. Not only is it not going to be painful, but that it could be wonderful, mm-hmm. empowering, and that I could be present through it. Hmm. That I would not have to be barged open, but that I could allow bigger and, and be present in this allowance of life to allow it to pass through me. Mm-hmm. So I started reading all of those stories. And at some point in my second and third trimester, it hit me. You know, I'm a yoga teacher. I'm professional at guiding um, relaxations and shavasanas and relaxing these parts of your body and everything. I'm like, why had I never thought of doing this to myself in labor? Isn't that funny? Like, I feel like that happens with so many people, like so many different instances where you're like, you don't, it takes you so long to realize things that you teach other people and apply it to yourself. It's so true. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I started doing it to myself just night after night, like guided relaxations, visualizations physically. And I would imagine and visualize the waves of pressure because I stopped calling them contractions. Mm -hmm. Because contractions would contract. So I wanted to recognize them as pressure because pressure always rises, but always subsides. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So I like it. Okay. Yeah. So, and I think I learned that when I was reading and studying hypnobirthing um, mm-hmm. ideas, although I never really took a full professional session in hypnobirthing, but I definitely appreciated some of their wisdom. Yeah. And then I thought as if it wasn't enough to, because there aren't so many documentaries and stories of ecstatic birth. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I just, it just wasn't enough for me. It wasn't cutting it. And one night I got the brilliant idea that I would go on YouTube and watch wild animals give birth. Ooh, interesting. Okay. So I went and I watched everything. I watched like the gazelle, the hippo, the zebra, the buffalo, cat, cow, horse, dog, like anything I could find. I would, I watched and I studied them because the animals, they're very in tune with their bodies and with nature. Mm-hmm. They moan and they're quiet and they move in softness. None of them are screaming their heads off like like I did. Mm-hmm. Or like all of those episodes of stuff you've seen on TV and in movies, right? Mm-hmm. And I watched so many of these animals night after night. And finally... I saw that there was a common thread. One, all of the animals, they first go and find themselves a space of safety. Mm -hmm. They know that they need to feel ultimately safe in -hmm. preparation for going into labor. And two, they move freely. None of them are like stuck in a rigid position. They move freely. You know, sometimes they're near water or sometimes they're like nestled in some grass or whatever it is, but they find their cuddly, cozy, moving thing that the animals do. Yeah. And then lastly, there was um, a lot of times like vocal sounds. So the animals would kind of like, like there was this openness, like a moaning, a groaning, Um, but it was never a sharp, kind of sound. Mm-hmm. It was always this opening of like, uh, mm-hmm. uh, very gentle, very soft. I think it was around that time I also learned that opening the jaw like yeah. that helps yeah. to really relax the pelvic region. Yeah. Right? Isn't that wild? I talk about that. It's bodies are crazy. <laughs> that It's so amazing. And it's because when you think about it, you're kind of in that state when you're making babies too. Yeah, you are. Right. Yeah, you, are. <laughs> you, know? uh-huh. you don't, uh-huh. you're certainly not like tensed nope. up like that. So it, nope. it, it all makes sense. Um, but it's crazy how that kind of information, it's not made readily available. I mean, you're certainly doing a great service to your audience, but um, it wasn't taught to be by my mom or it's not in school textbooks or yeah, you know, or even when you go to your appointments or any, nobody's really talking about this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So after I watched enough of these animals, I got to thinking, heck, if they can do it, so can I. Yeah. So for the first time, eight years later, right? Because for my first pregnancy, I had heard about these fairy tales, but I didn't think it was reality for me. Mm-hmm. Eight years later, I got the feeling, the feeling state of, Hmm. If the animals can do it, if they can do it, mm-hmm. I can do it too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I trained for it night after night, night after night. I practiced for it 
um, because once the time comes, you only get one go at it. So I wanted to prepare myself for it, just like any athlete would or anyone would for a decisive day, right? Sure, yeah. And my midwife, my second midwife was a different lady than the first. She was so simple and wonderful. You know, she helped me to train and prepare myself and also helped to prepare my husband too. But she was not at all intrusive. She didn't get in the way of the birth or of my ideas or, you know, just her presence Mm -hmm. even in our house wasn't intrusive at all. Yeah. So when the time came, a contraction started on Halloween. It was October 31st. And I said to my husband, oh, I think the baby's coming. Shall we go for a walk? He was like, oh, do you want to call the midwife? And I said, no, let's, I want to first hang out with you for a Mm -hmm. couple hours and then we can call her later. So we had a lovely short walk. We came home um, and then we called my midwife. She came over at about midnight. She examined me. She took one look and she said, you're not softening at all. You're not opening at all. I don't think labor is progressing. Shall I go home? Mm -hmm. But this time I said, that's okay. You might be right, but I do feel like the baby's coming tonight. So Mm -hmm. if you don't mind, please catch a snooze in our extra room. And if in the morning labor is not progressing, please go home. But I do feel like he's coming. So it would make me feel more comfortable if you would be with us. Mm -hmm. So she rested in the other room. And I also let my husband catch a snooze because he had been training for the last match of his career. Mm-hmm. And he was really exhausted. So I, I told him he could sleep for a bit. And I spent a couple hours on the gym ball in the bedroom, just moving like the mm-hmm. animals were. Mm-hmm. A, a couple hours in, my midwife, she must have sensed the heightening pressure because she said my way. And then she saw that, ooh, you're right. Indeed, you're progressing. And now you're progressing very fast. You're softening, you're opening. And this is happening now. Mm. And so she, you know, she would just hold my hand and stroke my back. And I just, you know, these birth workers, bless you all. (laughs) I feel, I just, I feel I'm so impressed. And I'm in such adoration for what you do, because you need all of the medical training and all of the knowledge and know-how and all of that. But in the moment, it's really just your presence. Yeah. Absolutely. This non-intrusive being, I'm here for you. And Mm -hmm. that's all the difference it makes for the woman in labor because you add to that sense of safety and security. Yes, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Mm. That you're being protected and and watched, Mm -hmm. you know, belovedly. All right. The sound of that heartbeat means it's time for this week's segment of Birth It Up Babies. This one says, I just had to message you and let you know that your natural course helped so much for my husband and I. I was induced and I went 100% natural, no interventions, and it's all thanks to the preparation that you provided. Cannot thank you enough. Your Instagram was my Bible through my pregnancy. Oh, I've never actually heard it being uh, referred to as like a little Bible. That's so cute. Oh, it's like a little birth Bible. (laughs) If you want to have an even better birth, just like this mama, head on over to mommylabornurse.com slash courses to learn more about our three online on-demand birth classes. 
another couple hours in at like 4 a.m. I was ready to wake up my husband. I said, you know, honey, please wake up. And we had practiced uh, a few positions. Like I said, my husband was a very thick man. So mm-hmm. we had practiced the position where he would sit on the mattress on the floor and lean back and I would sit in his lap. Mm-hmm. So his thickness would provide me kind of like a birthing chair. Oh, you know? yeah. And I, I, can, I can picture it. <laughs> yeah. I can literally lean back into his thickness. And I felt so warm and protected, like nothing could go wrong. And labor progressed a lot in that position. And I almost thought that I might even give birth there. But in the final examination, my midwife, she said, you just have a couple more centimeters to go. Mm -hmm. So I said, I'd like to move into the tub. And my husband, we had spoken about this in advance. So he prepared the warm tub for me. Mm-hmm. And I moved into the tub and I spent about the last 40 minutes in the tub and gave birth to my second son in the bathtub at home. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Oh, I am. Um, the final moments, so it was about six something in the morning. And I remember the birds started to chirp and I could hear them from, no. the, from the bathroom. And I thought to myself, because I'm in a state of utter focus at this point, right? Uh-huh. I'm breathing, uh-huh. I'm moving, I'm super focused, I'm super present. And then I heard the birds chirp. And I thought, oh, day is breaking. My son, Isa, the eight-year-old boy, he's mm-hmm. going to wake up any moment because he's mm-hmm. going to think this is an ordinary school day. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so mom's I'm having a I'm, baby in the bathtub. Wait a second. This isn't exactly, any ordinary day. <laughs> that's exactly what happened. Oh. So uh, another like 10 minutes later, I heard him open the bedroom door and he goes over first to the kitchen and the dining room and the living room and he sees that nobody's there. Mm-hmm. It's eerily quiet. And finally, he finds his way into the bathroom where there is this convention of me in this like state of utter focus and my midwife, you know, who's watching over me and my husband. And so my son Isa walks in and he goes, Mom, what are you doing, Mom? Oh, <laughs> bless him. And I was like, I'm working on something, honey. I'm working on something. Would you mind just um, waiting in the living room? Mm-hmm. Because just in case on the off chance that something went wrong, I didn't want to like traumatize sure. him. A, sure. And B, if he were in the room, I would have lost a little focus because yep. my attention would go to him. So sure. I asked him, yeah. I said, can you please go and wait in the living room? And he goes, okay. And I no. hear him, I hear him trotting down the hall and then his footsteps stop. And he goes, wait, do I have to go to school today? Oh, I love him. (laughs) And I said, no, honey. And I hear him trot down again. And he stops again. And he goes, why? (laughs) And I holler back, because your brother's going to be born today. Oh. (laughs) And shortly after that, sweet conversation with a pop and a gush the water broke and the clear fluid went into the tub Mm -hmm. and I loved the freedom of movement that the water provided for me and it's only in the final moments that just this 
um, a little less pressure, a little less yeah. gravity because I'm in the water, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to lean back for the most part, but I had also told my midwife in advance that if at all possible, I would love to take up the baby with my own hands. Yeah, yeah. And so as the baby was crowning, my midwife said, Mason, uh, he's crowning. You can reach with your hand now. Mm-hmm. So I, I reached down with my left hand between my legs and this marshmallow, fluffy version, soft hair, just oh, like oh. immersed underwater. Uh-huh. And when I felt that, when I felt his hair and his head on on my hand, I just, uh, this overwhelming overflowing sense of um I mean I don't even have words for it but it was just so empowering like like I I felt literally this life come through me mm-hmm. and it was a nine hour nine and a half um, hour labor but in the final moments but when I felt his hair I just felt like oh the end is near right yeah so we're, um, and, and so I wanted to shift positions again. So I asked my midwife to please take his head again. I need to move back. Um, so I birthed his head and followed by his shoulders and his body. Uh, my husband later told me that at first he thought that our midwife fumbled because he thought he saw her underwater, like flip the baby. But in fact, he had his umbilical cord around Uh, his neck once. So the midwife, before she lifted him out of the water, had flipped him and then carried him out and placed him on my chest. Um, Then we called Issa, our our eight-year-old, back Mm -hmm. into the bathroom again. So everybody got a good look at the freshness of life. Um, And then we asked Issa to go back in the living room and wait again. And my husband helped me out of the tub because I moved to the bedroom where I gave birth to the placenta. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the bloody part. So we didn't want Isa yeah. to witness yeah. of that. Uh, but everything went smoothly. And I needed to be kept really warm, uh, having come out of the tub in sure. November. Yeah. But it was such an empowering sense of um rightness you know I I felt like oh this is what birth can be it's not like women have to go through birth it's that we get to we're we're blessed to and also that I didn't do it alone there was such a sense of communion with my husband and with my midwife and even with my son waiting in the living room and also with the baby so even in the days following that we never had to go to a medical facility. But for the first four days, the midwife would come in to check up on me and the baby and to follow up on our recovery. You know, and the brothers. So the older boy, Isa, is just utterly in love with the little one, Aiden, since day one, because he felt so protective, just like my husband. He yes. felt so protective of this fresh and fragile life. Mm-hmm. So to this day, they're, they're buddies. You know, it's, oh, it's really beautiful to see. I love that. Oh, my yeah. goodness. How old, how old are they now? Uh, so the older boy, Isa, is 14. And oh. Aiden just turned six. Oh, sweet boy. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh my goodness. What a story that was. <laughs> <laughs> like what a transformation that second birth was for you versus your first one. Yes. And I never even knew that it would be possible for me. But even to begin to consider that if someone can do it, maybe I can. If the wild animals could do it, maybe it's possible. We're all just mammals here. And the thing is, there's no promise or guarantee that it would go the way you imagine it to be. I think that's the wonder. And life, I think, demands awe that Mm -hmm. way. It's very humbling for a human being to be up, not against that, but to be in in the face of that. Yeah. And so as empowering as that moment, that day, and that experience has been for me in my life, Mm -hmm. the awesomeness of it is that I was utterly humbled. Mm. I know I didn't do that by my own power. I know Mm -hmm. that could only happen because of the way that I allowed and gave way to like all the other force. Yeah. All the other forces at play. You were open. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Wow. That's amazing. Well, I know we want to talk about a little bit something else um, in terms of some events that happened after birth. And I want to say you know, for anybody listening, this might be a little bit sensitive for anybody who's dealing with loss or grief. Um, but tell me kind of what happened next in your life. Yeah. So five months after Aiden was born and as a family, we had gone through this awesome yeah. birthing experience. And for me, this redemptive birthing experience, uh, my husband um, was in a involved in a traffic accident and he was killed instantly um something of a huge shock uh, not just for me but for all of us you know this young vibrant athletic man it just nobody would have ever thought like at the happiest point of his life too right we had just come together as a family yeah um and Mm -hmm. welcomed this new baby so i was um plunged into the depths of sorrow and grief and not knowing which way was up and not knowing how I would get through it. Um, But again, I just came back to continuing to breathe Mm -hmm. and continuing to eat when I can, continuing to move and, um, I mean, there's not really a reason or logic to it, but somehow for me, one of the greatest lessons of my life about coping with pain through these various life experiences, I also learned through childbirth that mm-hmm. I don't present resistance against it. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. So not only physically, um, but also emotionally and mentally, right? Because we present a lot of psychic resistance against painful, painful experiences and life experiences where we think it wasn't supposed to be this way. 
Mm. He wasn't supposed to die. She wasn't supposed to leave. They weren't supposed to fire me. The earthquake wasn't supposed to happen. You know, of course we're going to resist because who wants pain? Who wants hurt? And at the same time, however long it takes for you, um, it's quite simple. Bottom line, it boils down to, are you going to keep resisting mm-hmm. your life? Are you going to keep resisting truth? Or are you going to make peace with it? In my case, the way that I feel and sense it is an allowance of allowing life. The, w- the same way that I allowed the baby to be born through me. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I learned to allow. I learned to allow the death and the release to pass through me. It's not, it was none of my business to want to keep him. That's between him and God or life or whoever you want to, you know, and that again, I would be humbled because I wouldn't know why these things happen or I wouldn't know how I would come through it or what's becoming of me next. Yeah. But that my empowering choice always remains in staying in the moment and whenever possible, choosing to not resist. Yeah. And to breathe through it and to allow it. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. You're exactly right. It can be really applied to any hardship that anybody goes through in life. It like, is yeah. it really that you said it's simple? Like, I like that you were used the word simple, but it's almost like, yeah, can it really be that simple? Yeah. Wow. Um, and also, what's the alternative? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. you're going to keep resisting, you're going to make it more painful for yourself. And the yeah. pain is what's going to show you whether the pain is physical or mental or emotional. The pain yeah. is going to be what's showing you, hey, something's off here. Do you want to consider another way? Yeah. You know, so I can't, um, you know, when it comes to grief and when it comes to loss and some of these, I guess, relatively extreme life experiences that I've been through. And when I see others and speak with others who have gone through similar experiences, Mm -hmm. I there's there are no words to say. Sure. You know. Um, there are only so many hugs you can give, you know, I, I like to give people food because food mm-hmm. nourished me and food is like earth mother, but you know mm-hmm. what it is at the end of the day, just like you, awesome birth workers <laughs> have it in you to hold that space of safety and silence mm-hmm. with the passage of the baby, with the, mm-hmm. with the passage of the new life. I am learning to hold space Mm. for my transformation and for the transformation of anyone else who's going through that hardship. Yeah. Wow. Sometimes I think that the difference is that with birth, the tremendous hope is that there's life at the end of it, right? At the end of your however many ends of hours of labor, The tremendous hope is that there's going to be a new baby at the end of it, you know, however it happens. And with death, we're made to believe that it's the opposite because there's Mm. this loss 
and this person that used to be here is gone or this life that used to be here is gone. And weirdly, you know, I'm beginning to question that. Hmm. Sure, there is a sense of loss of the same familiar voice or the same familiar presence. But whatever it is that you shared or the experience and the learning that you shared, it's not lost. So it's beginning to feel to me more like the same kind of transition and this allowance of of bringing me forward toward life beyond. Life, not like I thought it was, but who am I to know anyway? I mean, I'm not God, you know? So it's put me in my humble place. I'm learning to hold my own hand through that. And also, you know, because I had to hold Issa's hand through his grief too, right? I mean, Aiden was too small to know, but so for me, this passage of life and the rightful place for a human being to be in this humbled awe of however life comes in or however life goes out um, has just, I feel, has been an ultimate gift. Wow. Well said. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> what what a what a life story. I mean, I, I just love when people come onto the podcast and I can just hear I feel like I've I know you. Like, you know, like I know your your life story now. You did such a wonderful job of just um bringing it here. And I want to thank you for that. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, yeah. where can our listeners connect with you? Because I know you have a website um yeah. and social media. If people want to connect with you, where can we find you? Yes. Please find me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is M-A-E-Y-O-S-H-I-K-A-W-A. And my flagship website is M-A-E-Y dot L-I-V-E. And you'll see there that I have a page dedicated to my upcoming book. Uh, Mm -hmm. Working title is Kizuki, which is um, really this life story of my metamorphosis of identities that weaves through pregnancy, birth, grief, loss, and really the rebirth of me, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's That's incredible. Mm. That's incredible. Well, May, thank you so much again for coming on. This was a fabulous episode. I know that I'm so excited to put out and add to the over 200 episodes that we've done on the Bobby Lieberner's podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. It's been an absolute pleasure. Next week on the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, we are going to be talking about postpartum stuff. Yeah, I'm going to be answering some of your top postpartum questions. We're going to be talking about a lot of different things, night sweats, C-section recovery, bleeding, and kind of just what that looks like, like the time, you know, the time recovery of bleeding and more. So be sure to stay tuned. I will see you guys next week. Already feeling a little more confident about pregnancy, birth, and newborn life? Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you can continue to erase the unknowns and never miss an episode. And if you're looking for even more, Instagram is definitely where I hang out the most. Come join our community of more than a half a million moms for birth education, tips, and solidarity. You can find me at mommy.labornurse. Check out today's show notes and a searchable library of every Mommy Labor Nurse podcast episode at mommylabornurse.com slash podcast. And while you're there, be sure to head to the blog to learn about our online birth classes too. 
see you next week. And remember, you can have an even better birth no matter how you deliver.